Hey, welcome back to the Teen Catalyst podcast, helping teens create a life and career they love. Today, I'm talking with David Edwards, who is a personal motivation expert, and we're talking about personal motivation for teens. Uh, David worked his way through school, eventually achieving an MBA in healthcare administration. He served mostly lower income people on three continents over the last 35 years and is familiar with the challenges and unfairness of life. In 2018, while working with doctors, dentists, counselors, nurses, community healthcare workers, and others, that's a lot of people to work with, he had an epiphany. The core challenge that most people have, and I can attest to this, is to generate the personal drive to direct their own life. Enduring principles to guide, and the most current science-based tools to assist them through a bumpy and messy life. And let's face it, life can get bumpy and very messy. His first book, New You, Who Knew, is an attempt to put in writing an easy-to-digest and implement guide that builds confidence, self-esteem, and self-compassion in balance. He says that your personal motivation at any age is an enduring source of focus, energy, and meaning. God gave you agency and expects you to use it for good, not spending your life mostly in a distraction, entertainment, and going with the flow that most of us get so caught up in. The skills of motivation available to anyone at any age are your foundation on which to build an impactful life and career. And with that, I'm gonna welcome David to the show. Hey, David, how are you this morning? I'm great, thanks. How are you, Ken? Doing fantastic. Tell us a little bit about how you became who David Edwards is today. Well, I started my life like you know most people, especially now in my generation, right? I mean, my dad was a contractor. He worked in construction, and my mom was a stay-at-home mom. Mm. And it was a pretty typical, you know, I think beginning, especially during that age. Um, as a contractor, we moved a lot because, <laughs> you know, my dad went where the work was. And uh, we lived in Washington State, California, Alaska. Wow. Um, but uh, my folks, when I was 10 years old, my folks got divorced. Uh, my dad was drinking too much and made some mistakes that my mom couldn't forgive him for, at least at the mm -hmm. time. And uh, anyways, and so, you know, they got divorced, which again was pretty typical. Um, and, and I'm going to fast forward. <laughs> yeah. You know, so I was the first child. I had two brothers. Um, I was the only child to actually go to college, which is fine. You know, my younger brother got into construction, but my older brother never had direction, I should say. I'm not sure how to describe it, you know, but, uh, and he was three years older than me. Um, we would talk about philosophy a lot. I know it's just what we did. So mm -hmm. we were talking about like Eastern philosophy and Buddhism and, the Beatles were super popular, <laughs> if anybody remembers the Beatles anymore. <laughs> right, yeah. And, um, and they were into transcendental meditation with the Maharishi Mahesh Yogi. And so my brother really got into that. And the Maharishi had started a university in Iowa, I think it is. And he really wanted to go there. But he was also dabbling in lots of drugs and... Um, and, you know, and there was this idea that, you know, he could transcend 
the current reality by using drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, and it wasn't like escaping reality, which sometimes is what we do when we're taking drugs, right? It was trying to achieve this different reality, if you will. And, and I used to say to him, you know, when I was just a teenager, a uh, relatively young teenager, um, and I'd say, but Danny, when you're high, you're weird. You're, you're not in reality, <laughs> yeah. you know? And, and I was grateful I never really got into that, um, partly because what I saw him do. And I frankly, I never got into drinking because my dad drank too much, and my mom remarried, and my stepdad was an alcoholic, um, which he overcame, though. Wow, and it was, awesome. it was an amazing lesson because some missionaries knocked on his door, came with my mom, and they'd been there before, you know, over the years, and uh, um, and they found Jesus Christ, frankly. Amazing. And um, it changed their lives, uh, and it changed the focus of their lives. And, um, and that influenced me, frankly, as well. I remember when they first... It was during the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Uh, they, I said, that's good for you. I mean, I was 13. I said, but I don't want anything to do with God. I don't want anything to do with this stuff. I'm not going to go to church with you. You do your own thing. That's cool. You know, I hang out with my friends and do my thing, and that's good enough. Mm-hmm. But I saw their lives change. They changed physically. They changed spiritually. They changed emotionally. Um, it was really, really powerful. And I could not, even as a 13-year-old, deny that this seemed to be a powerful and good thing. And through my life, I, so I ended up joining that church as well. And it changed me. I mean, it just changed my whole life. So I went to yeah. college got married. We had two daughters who are adults now. Um, I was a CEO of a federally qualified health center. So we primarily served lower income adults and children, far, migrant mm-hmm. seasonal farm workers, because we live, live in a rural area there in Oregon. Yeah. Um, and we had the opportunity to build a brand new health center like 40,000 square feet, $16 million project. Wow. And we had built this model of care where if you are the patient, so Ken, you're the patient, when you come in, we expect you to be the captain of the care team, not a passive participant in the process. Because the old school model was if I'm the doctor and you're the patient, I tell you what to do. And if you do everything I say, then you're a good patient. I pat you on the head <laughs> and I say, good job. Mm-hmm. But that's not the modern reality, right? And yeah. so we had physicians and dentists and counselors and therapists and coaches and all these kinds of roles. And we wanted you to be able to come in and say, I know myself better than you do. Um, I think I need this. And then we enter into a dialogue. And then your whoever the team member is that you're working with says, well, I think this could be helpful or that. What do you think? And together you guys develop a care plan. But you know what? The fact is that you're in the clinic for like an hour, maybe, you know, 30 minutes. And then the rest of your life, <laughs> you're outside. Yeah, so if you're sure. not in charge, who is in charge, right? Because we certainly couldn't be. 
You have to be the captain. You have to be in charge. And I think it's a great metaphor for life. So with that health center, is that how you got involved overseas in, in those missions? Well, I served a mission with my church when I was 19 years old. So for two years, I, I taught people all day long, seven days a week. Um, and I did that for two years. And then as an adult, um, I was, I guess, between jobs, we'll just call it. <laughs> and I had an opportunity to go to Nigeria and yeah. work with a healthcare, if you will, a mission over there working with a Catholic charity. Mm -hmm. um, and that was a marvelous experience. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. So in, in working through all of that and with those doctors and nurses, you came up with the idea for your book, Knew You, Who Knew? Tell us a little about that. Who Who is the book written for? So the book is really written for anybody who wants to be the captain of their life. So the epiphany that I had was while we were working on this health center and we had really amazing people that I was working with from lots of different disciplines and places. Um, and we were going to spend all this money on this facility. We had the, the coolest technology. Um, and I realized that given our model, if we couldn't help the patient to be more effective as the captain of the care team, instead of being super effective, we were only going to be a little bit effective and right. we weren't really interested in just an incremental improvement. And anyways, I'm going to, I get distracted easily. So I got to <laughs> focus here. So anyway, so I realized, so then how, you know, how do we do that? And, and what does that even mean? You know, when I started to break it down, it's like, what does that even mean to be the captain? I mean, what are the skills that are required? And I was starting to study change models. So like in psychology, there are different models on how we change because change is essential, both from an internal perspective and from an external perspective. And I'll give you maybe a silly example for teenagers, but when I was a younger man, we had a VCR with a mm. big old cassette tape, right? And I was really proud because in 1986, after I got married, I could record our VCR to tape a television show that we wanted to watch when we weren't home, which was, you know, that was the technology at the time. Now, yeah, today, you might have to explain to today's teenagers what a VCR and a cassette tape are. Probably true. <laughs> Most and of them so, have seen them in antique stores and, and all of that. Or a pawn shop or something. Right? Yeah. A movie. An old movie. So mm -hmm. the idea was is today you probably still have a DVD player in your home. You mm -hmm. probably mostly stream, right? Yeah, That's what most sure. of us do. But we probably still have a DVD player. So in the, you know, if you go back into the 80s and the 90s, um, what we had was a big old, it was like a reel-to-reel. -reel. It was tape. Gotcha. And you could actually record on it. And so you could record and then you could play back. And so you could program it to say, you know, on channel five, there's a TV show on at six o'clock, but I'm going to be at my friend's house. So you would record that show mm -hmm. and then you could play it back and watch it when you got home. And so that was kind of the technology and, you know, and that evolved over years until they invented DVD players, <laughs> right? And at first it was regular DVDs and then it was Blu-ray DVDs, right? That 
kind of technology ran its course and now it's mostly streaming. Yeah, for sure. And so, so the skill I had is useless though. Right? <laughs> if you don't keep up with the changes, then you know you kind of become outdated. So you yeah, got to keep sure. up with outside technology changes. But more important to be the captain of your own life, you have to be able to change who you are mm. over time. And that's something that you can start at any age. You know, as a teenager, you can certainly start thinking about what does it mean to me to be the captain of my own life? Yeah, and what I sure. did in the studying of these change models is that at the core of every one of these models, all scientifically studied and researched, is personal or intrinsic motivation. That's your drive to get something done. Mm -hmm. It's your focus. It's your sense of meaning and I'm frankly well-being. And it wells yeah. up within. It's not an outside thing. It's not your friends. It's not your parents. It's not some speaker, as marvelous as a speaker may be, because all of that is happening outside, and it's somebody else's picture, somebody else's vision, mm -hmm. somebody else's motivation for you. And what I came to understand was that there are a set of skills that you can grow your own motivation to live your own best life. Yeah, I've, I've heard it put this way. Motivation has to be renewed constantly. So if, if you're motivated by other people, as soon as you leave those people, that motivation starts going downhill. So uh, one of my mentors said he likes to inspire people to learn how to motivate themselves. So he's into inspiration rather than trying to motivate people because they need to learn how to motivate themselves. But in where, where did your inspiration to study personal motivation come from? Was that out of your own need to be motivated? Cause you mentioned you, you easily lose focus on things or was that actually studying other people and seeing how unmotivated they were or how unfocused they were? Where did that come from for you? For me, it came from, um, serving at my at my health centers, mm -hmm. and I wanted people to be as effective as possible. What I saw was when people were engaged, and they took ownership, if you will, of their own care plan, they had better health, right? And it could be mental health, it could be physical health, and it could very likely be both, because everything that goes on in our mind affects our body, and everything that we do in our body affects our mind. It's all, it's inseparable, right? It's, it's yep. totally interrelated. We came as a whole package <laughs> from birth. <laughs> and so what I thought was, so, you know, this kind of this idea again, how can we be more effective and help people fill that role successfully? And as I studied motivation, I discovered, discovered these principles. And so, for example, the there were 10 of them, and that's what the book is, just 10 yeah. chapters. Yeah, I was going to ask you about, about that. Uh, go so go the, into those the 10 principles that you talk about in the book. Are, are they like, is it a hack, tips, tricks? What are they, and how are they, how are they different from what most other people would talk about? I'll use the metaphor of a tree, if I may. Yeah. And I don't know how many of your listeners, you know, most of us live in the cities anymore, right? Mm -hmm. But we've seen a tree probably, right? And I, I love, love cherries. <laughs> and so like a cherry tree, when it's planted, 
you think about when we're starting something because in nature everything starts small mm. right pretty much as a seed and we start small right we were born we're a little baby we're completely helpless and defenseless but we grow from being really tiny to bigger and bigger and bigger right and in nature everything starts small so as a seed the first thing a seed does is it germinates and what that is is it pierces the outer barrier and it sprouts some roots it starts to grow roots right and then as the roots grow it starts to grow a stem and as the stem and the roots grow together in balance right they can't grow huge roots in a tiny stem mm -hmm. or a big stem and tiny roots it's got to grow in balance and eventually not immediately but eventually over time as those things grow and strengthen the tree begins to bear fruit. And I like cherries, so I'll use a cherry tree, right? <laughs> and so what happens is, is that most of the stuff we see on YouTube or, you know, that we read about is kind of hacks and tips and tricks for growing lots of fruit, right? right. We want to have a great career. We want to have lots of friends. We want to get along with other people. We want to, uh, you know, whatever it is. And... Excuse me. Um, and the problem with that is that it, it makes us out of balance a lot of the time. So we're trying to bear all this fruit, trying to have all this outcome without building the strength and the trunk and the roots. And it's okay for a while, right? We can get away with it for a while, but because nature is frankly a little bit unforgiving, what happens is then something challenging happens. So in nature, there's a drought, or maybe there's a, you know, winter lasts longer than we'd hoped, or summer doesn't get as warm as you'd hoped, or, you know, the, there's too much rain and the so soil gets too soggy, right? And the tree fails and it right. doesn't produce. And so what happens is we have the same kinds of things in our lives. You know, we maybe our parents get divorced or we have some bad grades, or you know maybe our friends turn against us, or we get discouraged or depressed, or you know we're not performing in sports the way we'd like to, and it makes us anxious, or whatever, or some combination of these things, right? It, there's all of these forces, and they're inevitable. It happens to everybody. If you think you're alone, you're not, because it's happened mm -hmm. to everybody at some level or another, at some time or another, and so what happens then is our able or ability to resile through temporary challenges. So that's resilience, right? right? Resile is the verb. Or to persevere, which means sometimes there's longer term struggles, right? Um, I don't like my stepdad or I, my stepmom. And maybe that lasts for a long time. And you got to kind of work through that. Or you don't like a teacher. You're going to have them all year long. Um and so we have all of these challenges that might happen in our lives. And when we're out of balance, then we tend to fail. Mm -hmm. You know, like a human failure, and we don't really understand what's going on. And what it is, is that we have not built these foundations that allow us to endure, to persevere, to resile, and to succeed in these times of struggle and trial. That's where we really feel it. And so what I feel like personal motivation does is it builds that strength of root and of trunk. 
so right. that whatever else is going on around you, you inside have strength that you can draw on during the tough times. And when it's not tough times, right, you're continuing to strengthen and become more than you were before. And you are more successful as you pursue your goals. Whether they, and this is something that most, most people won't talk about, but there's two generic kinds of goals. And this is in chapter five in the book. I think it's five or six. And what it talks about is there's two kinds of goals. One is the normal goal that we think about is I want to do something. I want to accomplish something, right? Mm -hmm. I want to get a B in math. Or if that's not a good enough grade, an A in math. But maybe you're thrilled to get a C in math, right? <laughs> it doesn't matter. It only depends what what's important to you, right? And what your talents and strengths are and your weaknesses are. But whatever your goal is, that's what we normally think of. I want to run, I don't know what in track is, you know, I want to run a fast 100-yard dash. Mm -hmm. seconds, no, that's not too, that's too fast. 10 seconds, let's say. Right? Wouldn't that be like in high school, like a record? Very likely. I think so. So anyway, so whatever your goal is, right, it can be academic, it could be school, it could be whatever. Um, you set goals, and that's what we think about goals. But the other kind of goal that is at least as important, if not more important, is what we call a process goal or a becoming goal. Mm -hmm. And just think about it, all of the things that we want in life – like our doing stuff, our, our, you know, accomplishing stuff is built on our ability to become something that produces that result. So if I want to get a B in math, for example, and I'm in algebra, you're going to have a set of skills that you need to build on in order to do well in algebra. And you don't just like get to be in algebra. You got to study all of those component parts, those little bits and pieces that if you then get good at all of those pieces, all of a sudden you're going to be good at algebra because you've broken it down and you've you know developed those individual aspects. So that's how life is for us, is we become stronger and we build foundations by becoming the thing or the person that would naturally accomplish those kind of external goals that we might set. So building right. you starts in the first place. And accomplishing the outside stuff, the external stuff, comes as a result of what you've built. And that becomes sustainable, and it grows step by step by step through the course of your entire life. Mm -hmm. So for someone who, realize, who, who can see the process of becoming the person who can accomplish that goal, that extrinsic goal, where do they start building those roots? What What's the first step towards creating those strong roots to becoming a resilient person who can do and accomplish those goals? So the first step, and it almost sounds silly. I mean, when I studied this, I was kind of amazed. I, it's values. It's mm. for you to determine what your own personal core values are. And you might have 10 or 15 things that are important to you, right? It could be family. It could be the environment. It could be friends. It could be good grades. It could be any number of things, right? But there is great power for you at any age, right? Starting as a teenager, I mean, I didn't do this, <laughs> candidly. And I wished I had known. 
But for you as a teenager, or even you can as an, as an adult, no. Yes, as an adult, you can start this at any time, I guess. And it doesn't yeah. matter if you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter what your race or your nationality is. It doesn't matter what your culture or religion is. It doesn't matter how good or bad your grades are. It doesn't matter how good you are at track or bad you are at track or <laughs> anything else, right? These are your own personal core values. Right. And so you start with that. And so what I recommend in the first chapter of the book, since it's the beginning of your journey, is that you go through a process. It's absolutely free. Um, and you determine what your top five core values are. And then to make them explicit, I encourage you to write down, however you write stuff down on a piece of paper or on your phone or on a computer, whatever, write down, what does this mean? So for me, when I went through this process, my first value is belief or faith. And it's like my values are Bitcoin without the oin. <laughs> it's easy for me to remember. So belief is my first value. And what that means is that I believe or I have faith in God and that I'm a child of God and that my potential is not just what's in front of me today or next week, but it is eternal. It goes on forever and it is limitless. Because mm -hmm. as a child of God, as Paul says, I am an heir of what God is, heirs of God. And Isn't so, that amazing? Yeah. And so to, if I think about that, it's not like in a worldly day-to-day -day sense, we think about inheriting, you know, what your parents have. So I, want, I inherit their DVD player and their old junker car and, you know, whatever, the, <laughs> you know, my grandmother's wedding ring or whatever it is. Or we think of stuff. But when we think longer term, right, when we think of like, if you have faith like I do in God, right, you think about it's not what God has because that's not what God is about. What God is about is helping his children, that's all of us, to become more like him. Yeah. That, in fact, is the gift of inheritance that is that we can become like him. So it's this, in our eternal, if you will, sense, it is a process of becoming, not acquiring, of becoming. Right, that makes sense. And so that was my first value, though, is belief or faith. And that, you know, extends out in other areas as well, because it includes belief in myself. Um, and so my second value is integrity. And so to me, that means that I not only have values, but then I try to live by them. And mm -hmm. again, this is for me. And I'm not saying that this is a value that you have to have or should have because it's yours It's yours, and it's your personal one. And it does, doesn't matter how it compares to mine or anybody else's, right? Because this is personal, and that's what motivation is. It's personal. And these will evolve over time. Things that are important to you today tend to be more durable, but they will, in fact, change over time. Do you know why? Because you are becoming a new person every day over time. And it, I recommend that people do this about every five years. You go through this process and say, is this still true? Most of it will be, but something very likely might change. And that's okay, because that's a process of you growing and becoming, and that's going to go on throughout your life. So anyway, mm -hmm. so you make them explicit by writing down what it means 
and how your life is better by living that value. So you define it, describe it, and why you are better off for living it. And if you right. will do that for your five core values, what the science tells us is that this will create a greater sense of well-being in your life. So that sense of like, my life is on track. You know, not everything's cool, right? Our circumstances will vary tremendously from person to person. But despite whatever your outside circumstances are, again, because we're building your foundation, this internal roots and stem, that you will feel like I am on track. You know, I'm moving in the right direction. I maybe have some ups and downs, but I'm generally moving in the right direction. I have a greater sense of well-being as a result of this. And you have greater focus and clarity in your life. And so like the corollaries, you know, the opposites, I wrote these down, is that you have apathy. That kind of, I don't care. It's pretty typical when I was a teenager. A lot of things I didn't care about. But we want to avoid apathy generally. Um, we languish, that sense of, you know, I don't have any direction or focus. I kind of just hanging out. Uh, we're kind of languishing and fuzziness and frankly, regret. And we'll always have some regrets, but if you've made your values explicit and you're striving to live them, you will have less regret. Regret is like unnecessary baggage in your backpack. And it weighs, but it doesn't give you any value at all. Mm -hmm. We want to avoid regret as much as possible. Well, making your values explicit and living them is a key way to avoid regret. Um, anyways, and so that's really the first step of the 10 um, is to make your values explicit. In my book, I describe it. If you go to my website um, and you sign up for the newsletter, which I only... I'm not as good at that as I might be. So every couple of weeks, I try to put out something meaningful or helpful. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you do that, though, you can get my white paper for free. And I really describe it. And I on my website, you can get a list of values. It's just a generic kind of conglomeration of common values. Mm -hmm. uh, you go through that and figure out what are the things that are most important to me. Um, and I described the whole process. So it's free in that regard. Awesome. Awesome. And and will that be as a download or they'll get that through the email, through the first email for signing up? You'll get the email and then on the website, there's a form section and you can like download gotcha. the list of values. Awesome. Awesome. So the book sounds super interesting. Sounds like something I need to pick up for myself. If, if someone were to come across your book in a bookstore and just leaf through it, what would be the one core takeaway that you would hope they'd get from the book? It's really that every life is unique and every life, yours included, is important. Your, your life is so important because how you live your life is going to influence both your own happiness, your own service, your own ability. It's also going to influence everybody around you. Because just like everything that goes on inside you and your mind affects your body and vice versa, everything that you do in your life affects other people. And it's going to either lift them, encourage them, strengthen them, or leave them neutral and flat or tear them down, right? There's mm -hmm. really only the three options. And so 
how you live your life doesn't just affect you. It affects everybody around you. And if you think, no, I'll just be myself, I'll live in a cave or a cardboard box and nobody will be affected by me. But so I have a business degree and a master's in business. And one of the things we learned about is what's called opportunity cost. What it means is my choice to do this versus this has an opp the opportunity to do the one versus the other. Right. There's a cost to that. Right. And so if I choose to live in a cardboard box, for example, then I've chosen not to do something else that maybe has a greater benefit. Yeah. And my choice to do the one thing has the cost of avoiding the other thing. And so in life, so this isn't in the book, but I love this kind of little model of I can choose to do bad things or I can choose to do good things, better things or the best things. Right. And so I think as, as we go through our life, is a progression we make is we constantly seek to, to become more, to become better, uh, to be of greater service um, and and to go from good things to maybe even better things and even the best things. And again, it's going to be very personal, but I think it's a marvelous progression. Yeah, I really like that. You can choose the bad, good, better or best things. I, I really like that. David, if, if someone wants to connect with you or reach out to you, where can they find you? So I have a Facebook page, David R. Edwards. Um, you can reach me on my website. It's www.davidredwards.com. Uh, that's probably the easiest way. I put, you know, materials out there, information, um, all with the intent to help you become the captain of your own life. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's like probably the easiest way. Yeah. I'll drop those links in the show notes and uh, we'll send people there. So I, I really great. appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. Yep. Have a, yeah, everybody have a great day. Do good work and definitely go check out the book. Discover your core values. Become the captain of your own life.